0: I want to start with a question. At this point in the Christmas season, anybody feel a little stressed? That's kind of interesting, isn't it? Because this is the season we talk about peace on earth, silent night, but it, it tends to be kind of a stressful time of the year. So I want us to think for a little bit about the kind of stress associated with the very first Christmas. For one thing, it was a stressful time for Joseph and Mary, because they're coming up to a wedding, and weddings are always stressful times, especially for brides and mothers of brides. Did you know? No, you didn't. Did you know? I was amazed to find out the number of magazines published for stressed-out brides. If you go online, you can find magazines called Bride, Modern Bride, Elegant Bride, Chicago Bride, New Jersey Bride, and a whole lot of... There's even one called Bride Again, a magazine. Okay, but there's one magazine you will never see. You will never see modern groom because nobody cares what the groom looks like at a wedding. No one ever walks away from a wedding saying, didn't he look so radiant? Never. Never. A groom at a wedding is like a restroom in an art gallery. You have to have one, but nobody goes there to see it. <laughs> nobody cares about the groom. So today I want, I want to talk about the kind of stress that was on the life of this groom called Joseph because he paid an incredible price for what happened at Christmas that you just might have overlooked before. It foreshadows what God was doing, what Jesus would sacrifice And what Christmas love is all about and how he changed the whole culture. I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1 verse 18 following says, This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married or engaged to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public shame, He had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now bear in mind, no angel has yet come to Joseph, but he knows Mary's pregnant. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken through the prophet, when he said, a virgin shall conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife but he had no union or relationship with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. When Matthew says Joseph was a righteous man, that's a technical expression. In the Hebrew, it would be a single word, sadik, a sadik. What that means is that Joseph was known for his uncompromising obedience to the Mosaic law, the book of Torah, and so whatever it said, he did it. He didn't eat unclean food, he didn't mix with the wrong kind of people, and he didn't keep the carpentry shop open on the Sabbath to try to make a few extra bucks. He was a sadiq, and everybody in that little village knew about him. Nobody invited Joseph over to have ham sandwiches with tax collectors and prostitutes, because Joseph was what kind of people admired to be in that culture. It's kind of like that in our culture, that a businessman wants to be a CEO, or an athlete wants to be an all-star, or that a U2, a U2, a UT grad wants to be one at A&M. Just kidding. Don't throw anything at me. Just kidding. So people wanted to be a Sadiq because then they'd be looked up to, admired, and respected in that culture. A Sadiq was really somebody in that culture. So capture that image. But Joseph was a Sadiq with a big problem. He's engaged his fiance is pregnant, and he's not the father. And when you're a Sadiq in a small town, that's not acceptable because your whole reputation and identity revolves around one thing, what the Torah, what the law says, you do. And it said, if a woman is pledged to be married, and is found to be sexually unfaithful, then in Deuteronomy 22, he gives some pretty grim instructions. She should be brought to the door of her father's house, and there the men of the town will stone her to death. She's done a disgraceful thing in Israel by being promiscuous while still in her father's house. You must purge that evil from among you. That's what the law said. Well, Joseph knew the law, and now his whole understanding of righteousness, his reputation, his identity as a Sadiq in that little village, it's on the line. Everybody in the village assumed they knew what he would do, but they're wrong. This sin they knew, gotta publicly be exposed and punished. But here the story takes a strange, dramatic turn. The text says, being a righteous man, he wanted to avoid a scandal. So there's tension going on in the story. Under the old system, the Mosaic law, righteousness would have demanded Mary be exposed because sinners need to be excluded. Standards have to be maintained. Under that old system of the law, the righteous had to separate themselves from sin and sinners. See, righteous men would not have hesitated, but Joseph hesitated. He couldn't bring himself to say the words. He couldn't bring himself to lead the parade of men to her father's house. He couldn't bring himself to go public. So try and understand the anguish he was going through day after day. By the time the angel comes to him, Joseph has already been struggling with this for some time. Scripture doesn't say how long, but he already knows Mary's pregnant and who is the one that likely told him that she was. Most likely, Mary herself. So just think about the conversation taking place. Guess how old Mary was probably at this time? Scholars estimate she was probably 14 years old. So put yourself in Joseph's place. Here you are, a righteous Sadiq, respected in the community. You're engaged. Your fiance is a 14-year-old girl, and she comes to you one day and says, Joe, I got some bad news and good news. The bad news is I'm pregnant, even though we're not married yet. The good news is I haven't slept with anybody else. I haven't been unfaithful to you. An angel came to me, Joe, and said, Hail Mary, full of grace. You have found favor with God, and you're gonna have a miracle baby. It'll be conceived by the Holy Spirit. And all generations will call you blessed, Mary, except Protestants. (laughs) That's for the Catholic delegation imagine how she must have protested to Joseph about her innocence. This had to be a conversation, folks. And imagine how Joseph is struggling with the news. His parents probably arranged the marriage, and Mary seemed so sincere, she seemed to really believe about what she just said. But an angel to a 14-year-old in an unimportant, obscure village in the middle of nowhere, a thousand miles from Jerusalem, let alone Rome, let alone where any actions going on in the world, an angel? No way. So he decides to divorce her. Betrothal in that culture was a legal step, and it required a divorce to end it. So Joseph decides to divorce her quietly. That way, maybe he could minimize her shame and suffering and still maintain his status as a respected Sadiq a keeper of the Torah. Can you feel the tension, the battle between his desire to be compassionate and his understanding of what it meant to be righteous on the other hand? And then in verse 20, God sends a message to Joseph by an angel who says, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Now, why does the angel said, don't be afraid? Where does fear come into this picture? Well, I, I think just thinking about it, Joseph would be afraid of offending God. He, he would be afraid of disobeying the Torah, but I think it's a lot more than that. Joseph would be afraid of losing his reputation in the community. What would people think about him? Joseph was afraid that the status he had spent a lifetime building up would suddenly be destroyed. Joseph knew about his own doubts when Mary came and told him about the angel. And by this time in the story, he knows she's pregnant, but he's already deciding to divorce her, so he must have doubted her story. So there's no way people in this town are gonna believe an angel came to this poor couple in an obscure village and impregnated a virgin teenage girl. They'll think it's a joke. And they'll think what people always think when a pregnant girl gets married. If Joseph marries this girl, his friends are never going to accept his account of what happened. He would never be invited to the home of these other Sadiqs ever again. He would never be given again their business. He would suffer financially. He would be shunned by the community. He would be committing social suicide. It'd be like somebody in Washington telling the truth. He would never again be admired or respected as a lover of the Torah, the Mosaic law. If he commits himself to this baby, the one that would be known as Jesus and to Jesus' mother, Mary, he would do so with an enormous sacrifice. His whole reputation, the work of a lifetime, trashed. And that's what he's facing. You know, growing up in church, nobody ever much talked about Joseph, what this guy had to go through. Then in Matthew chapter 1, verse 24 through 25, it says, When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded. He brought Mary home to be his wife, but she remained a virgin until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. Let me stop just for a second to say some religious groups preach that Mary never had any relations after that, that she delivered Jesus. Well, she had a lot of kids after Jesus. All you have to do is read the Bible and kind of like Washington tell the truth, it upsets people who've been religiously ingrained with nonsense. Mary was, Mary was a great woman. God chose her, but she was a normal woman. Okay. I don't, I don't know how people, only in church can you screw things up that, that are relatively easy. This is so easy. So Joseph named him Jesus. Taking Mary home was a legal step in completing the wedding ceremony and publicly claiming her as his wife. Then Joseph names the baby. That is also a legal step in adopting the baby as his own. So legally, Joseph has now tied the destiny of the lives of two stained trash reputations, Mary and Jesus, and he's put himself with them. That's what no Sadiq would ever do. So his days as a Sadiq are pretty much over. Whatever the future holds, it won't be polite respectability, not ever again. Let me show you, though, how Joseph bets the farm on what God is doing. See, Jesus was part of a larger family. How many brothers and sisters do you think Jesus had? Well, just in Mark 6, we get four brothers mentioned, and that their names were James, Joseph, Judah, and Simon. In the Greek version, their names, in the Hebrew, they would have been Jacob, Joseph, Judah, and Simeon. So Bible scholars think it may well be that Mary and Joseph gave their sons these names because they believed that through their son, Jesus, God was going to once again renew his people and that God, through their son, Jesus, was gonna fulfill his dream of creating a redeemed community. But pause... Bear in mind, they're limited by their culture. They don't think real big, and they don't believe this new redeemed community is gonna be anything but Jewish, and it's not gonna include bad people, marginalized people, Gentile people. They can't think that far. They can't. It was unthinkable in their culture, and Jesus is about to blow up the whole culture. And I bet you he'd blow ours up too. Yeah, that's just for some of you smug folks. I think he would blow you out of the water today. Now, it may be in Mark 6 that we see part of the price Joseph paid. Here's an interesting scene set back in Jesus' hometown. People of his hometown are expressing skepticism about him. They don't think much about Jesus or his claims or his miracles. And their comment about him is, isn't this Jesus, uh, the son of Mary, that illegitimate kid, That's how they phrase it. Well, in that culture, nobody would refer to a man like that. A man would be referred to in that culture as the son of his father. And even though Joseph might have been dead by now, Jesus would have been known as Jesus, the son of Joseph, or Jesus bar Joseph. But they don't do that. To refer to a man as the son only of the mother would equate as the same as someone today calling him the son of a a crude, insulting word for the mother. Very painful, very shameful. It's a way of talking about the condition of the birth of that person. In Mark 6, it may also reflect that decades later in that little village, Joseph's reputation still hasn't recovered from his marriage. And only Mary and Jesus knew why Joseph did what he did. That was the scandal of love. I wonder if God decided that Jesus, who would later be called a friend of sinners, should be raised in a family that knew firsthand what it was to be regarded as spiritually second class citizens. Because there were whispers about him and his mother while he's growing up. And if you wonder whether those kinds of rumors can survive that long in a small village, maybe some of you can be reminded of the story about the African-American girl who was shown to be the daughter of former Senator Strom Thurmond from South Carolina. And that was back in 2004. There had been rumors all during my time in South Carolina about it, but it was only confirmed in 2004. So maybe part of why Jesus had such a heart for unrespectable people is that he was raised in a family that lost its respectability because of his birth and how he was birthed. And maybe one reason Jesus had such compassion for women who were walking scandals is that he knew what it meant to his mom that his father had stuck by her when she was single and pregnant while all the other saddiqs, the righteous, would have picked up a stone. There's a story in John 8 about a woman caught in adultery. She was caught, condemned, and sentenced real quick, and she's surrounded by a group of these righteous Sadiqs. And they dragged her to Jesus, and in front of him they said, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. Now, that had to have been set up by these Sadiqs, these fine men. Hello they didn't just happen to walk on her. They set it up trying to trap Jesus. And so Moses, back in the law, commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? You're supposed to be a sadiq. What do you say? And the Bible says that Jesus bent down and wrote something on the ground. And for 2,000 years, people have been trying to figure out what he wrote. Some said he was writing the Ten Commandments. Some say he was writing different laws that the people in that circle of Sadiqs had violated, and then writing their name next to (laughs) Who knows? It's just possible that maybe the single word that he wrote in the dust on the ground was mom, kind of remembering his mom and what she went through. Maybe in that moment, Jesus thought, of a scared 14-year-old pregnant girl in a village consumed by scandal and a strong young Sadiq named Joseph who gave up everything to stand by her side. That was the scandal of love. And Jesus said to the men in that circle, okay, you Sadiqs, let the one who's without sin cast the first stone. And one by one, they all, like Elvis, left the building. And Jesus is left alone with that woman. Now, he had loved and protected her when all the righteous people were ready to stone her. Kind of like father, like son. That's the scandal of love. I'm just thinking, what if this church became known all over for the scandal of love? What if word started spreading around San Antonio and the region that no matter what you've done, no matter how bad you've messed up, there's a church where they won't stone you. They won't condone you, but they won't stone you. What if what happened in Jesus' day happened again here? And it just didn't matter whether someone was homeless or a CEO or a celebrity or a government official or what color they were or how they were dressed. What if word started to spread around the San Antonio region among atheists AIDS patients, addicts, workaholics, divorced people, sexually confused people. Hey, I know a place you can get love. Yeah, let me ask you a tougher question. Who's God calling you to love? Where's God inviting you into the scandal of love? Yeah, it's one of the reasons why Jesus said that his kind of love is characterized when it's extended to people who are difficult to love. Look at what he said in Luke 6, verse 32. If you just love people who are easy to love you, let me, let me fill in, like you, your color, your political affiliation, your, your nationality, your background, your socioeconomical status. If you just love people who are like you and are easy to love, people who will love you back, he says, anybody can do that. Babies do that. Even the mafia does that. One of the most important things you need for Christmas if you want to grow spiritually is a difficult person in your life. (laughs) How many of you have a difficult person in your life? Don't point them out. (laughs) And if you don't have one, our church has a list. We can assign one to you. (laughs) I, I say this because the odds are pretty good that over the next few days, if not already, you're going to be sitting around the table celebrating the holidays and a difficult person will be sitting with you. And if you want, you can cross your arms and pick up a stone, most people do, or you can pass judgment if you want to. Most churches have a lot of stone throwers. You, you can say for whatever reason, this guy, this gal doesn't measure up to my standards. They're too odd, too bad, too wrong, too off, too loud, or too something. Or you can hear God's invitation into the scandal of love. And remember the love that came your way when Jesus saved you. And then pass it along. Anne Lamott, she's very crude, but I lo- I lo- she appeals to me. Okay. She's just choo, right to the heart. She says, you can safely assume you've made God in your own image when it turns out he hates all the same people you do. Yeah you can visit church to church and find out who do they hate. See, I, you're not going to hear that here, but it is pretty widespread. Yeah. See, God is about the scandal of love, and Jesus grew up embracing the scandal, loving people nobody else would, let alone a sadiq who would love uh, and, and and people that looked at Jesus and said, you know, you think you're a righteous man, don't you? You call yourself a Sadiq. Why, you're a friend of sinners. You're embracing people no Sadiq ever would. This is the criticism always toward Jesus. How did the church get away from that? I don't, if you're like me, if you're my color, if you're my political affiliation, if you're on my level, if you live in my gated community, if you make as much money as me, if you're, then you're can You're welcome. But if you don't, then we're not your kind of people. I've heard that in this city. That should never be heard. Everybody's welcome. Nobody's perfect. Anything can happen. And that was the Jesus scandal of love. But Jesus came to teach you about another kind of righteousness, a better kind of righteousness. And you start to see so many parts of his life in a different light when you think about this story. Once in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5, I think, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, unless your righteousness, your sadiqness exceeds that of scribes and Pharisees, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. And people wondered, well, what's that kind of righteousness he's talking about? The only kind they knew was if you tried to keep the law, and nobody did. Jesus knew about that. His father was such a man. Anybody who wants to be can be part of that righteousness because God in a manger, in a stable was starting a brand new kind of a community. It was a new sadiqness that wasn't based on race or culture or nationality or political affiliation. It was based on faith in Jesus Christ and you and I gaining his righteousness, not by keeping the law. Dear God, all of you law keepers have never kept the law anyway. And if you try to keep one part of the law, if you keep all the law and you break one part, Paul writes you're guilty of breaking it all. And if you keep one part, you got to keep it all. That means if you're a law keeper in here and you've got mixed fabric on, cotton underwear and polyester on your blouse, you've already broken the law. It was made that way to drive us over to Jesus to say, you want to you achieve righteousness? Now, I tell you what. Rick, you couldn't keep the law if you tried. So I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll keep the law perfectly as the Son of God. Then I, because sin, the wage of sin is death, I'll go to the cross and I'll suffer the judgment of death that you deserve for your sin. I'll pay for it in full. Nothing left outstanding. And then when I rise from the dead, if you accept me, the Father sees you as having kept the law, and fully righteous. Although you've never kept it a day in your life, because God puts you in Christ, he reckons or accounts to you his righteousness. So he gives me his righteousness and takes my unrighteousness. Well, Rick, you don't deserve that. Well, you don't either. None of us do. It's a divine exchange. It's fantastic. It was good news. It's what keeping the law could never do. It made you miserable, made you condemned, it made you shameful, made you a judge of other people, made you a stone thrower. But grace, unmerited, undeserved uh, relationship with God through Jesus was like, wow, that's not hard at all. Of course it's not hard. Stay in marriage, hard. Go into heaven's easy. Please, come on, wake up. There are a lot of things on earth that are hard. Raising a family, that's hard. Accepting Jesus, being made righteous, that's easy. That's why it was called good news. No matter who heard it, on what day, no matter what situation, good news. So the righteousness we get now is is not available because we work so hard to impress people with how good, how spiritual we are. We get it by faith. Faith in what Jesus did on the cross, it's a gift You're going to be getting a lot of gifts, opening gifts, somebody paid for, somebody offered, and you receive. And that's what salvation is it's a gift bought and paid for in the blood of Jesus, offered to me whosoever will. I accept it and I receive the gift. It's never an earned deal, it's a pass through deal given to anybody who kneels at the manger and says of Jesus what Joseph said I'm with him. I cast my lot with him. I tie my life to Him. That's the scandal of love. Anybody, anywhere, anytime can come to this man Jesus and be born again, forgiven, receive eternal life, get a brand new heart, a new nature, and you grow into being the kind of a person He was. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit SummitSA.com.